The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 to 10. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Then Samuel, now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be here speaking with you all this morning. I'm so grateful to Brandon for opening the pulpit for me to share with you today. And personally, it's a privilege for me because my grandmother was a preacher and my great-grandmother is a preacher, so no pressure. Uh, but I am honored to carry on their legacy a little bit today. Um, so my aunt tells me that the way this used to work um, when my grandfather and my grandmother would co-teach, my grandpa would get up and do the bulk of the sermon, and then my grandma would be the closer. Like, she'd come in and she'd, like, get that point home because she just, she could convict people. So I was thinking today, I will preach three-fourths of the sermon, and then my husband, Dwayne, can come up and be the closer and really drive the point home. I was really drawn to this topic, Speak, Lord, because it's language that I have grown up hearing often in my home. I'm a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries. My grandparents were missionaries. My great-grandparents were missionaries. My aunts and uncles on both sides were missionaries. And so as you can imagine, they spoke a lot about God has called us to go overseas and to do this work, or God is leading us to do this or that, or God has spoken to our hearts about this or that. And my father, even when I was a child, taught me how to hear the voice of the Lord. He said, Kristen, you got to go into that quiet part of your heart, deep into the middle of you, that little cave that's really quiet, and get really still and say, God, I'm here. I'm listening. And if that sounds like the prayer Eli taught Samuel, it's because it is. And I have no doubt that my father was influenced by Samuel and Eli's relationship when he was teaching me that prayer. But of course, as I got older, um, this idea of God speaking became a little more nuanced. Because sometimes... I did have experiences where I heard God's voice that in ways that shaped me, 
and guided me. But then there have also been seasons when I haven't heard God's voice at all, when it feels like God has been quiet. And then, of course, there are times when um, we've heard people saying, speaking for God and saying, oh, God told me this or God told me that. And it doesn't sound quite right. Like, would God really say that in that way? And so we can start to wonder um, a few things. And I want to look at these three questions with you this morning. The first is, does God still speak today like he did in the Bible times? The second is, if he does still speak, how do we know that we're interpreting him rightly, that we're really understanding accurately what we're hearing? And the third one is, if we haven't felt that we've ever heard from God, how do we open ourselves up to hear from him at all? I think the story from 1 Samuel chapter 3 um, has some really lovely insights for us into these questions this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about Samuel if you're not familiar with his backstory. So Samuel was the son of Hannah and Elkanah. And Hannah had been barren for many, many years. And there was nothing she wanted more than to have a child. And so one day she went to the temple and she poured her heart out to God and she said, God, if you will give me a child, I promise to give that child to you to, to serve you all the days of their life. And she was praying with such fervor and such expression that meanwhile the priest Eli was watching her and he thought she was drunk. And he went up to her and he said, woman, you have got to stop drinking so early in the morning. And she said, I'm not drunk. She said, I'm heartbroken. I'm in anguish. And she shared her prayer with Eli. And Eli blessed her and he said, go, daughter, may the Lord find favor with you. And so she went and God did bless her. And Hannah and Elkanah conceived and had Samuel. Now when Samuel was about three or four years old and Hannah was done weaning him, she fulfilled her promise to God. She brought Samuel back to the temple and she gave Samuel to Eli. And she said, God has fulfilled his promise to me. Now I want to fulfill my promise to God. And she gave Samuel to be raised in the temple and to be raised in the priesthood. And so we pick up the story in chapter 3. The biblical historian Josephus tells us that about Samuel would have been about 10 or 11 years old by this point. So he spent a good six or seven years in the temple now learning the Torah, learning the Bible, learning the ways of the priesthood. One night he's in bed sleeping and this voice comes to him and calls out his name. And he doesn't know what he hears. He's confused. So he goes to Eli, and he's like, I'm here. Every single parent in this room knows exactly that scenario that Eli was facing. You're like half asleep in bed, and suddenly there's like a mirage of a child standing over you. Like, I'm here. Wake up. I need a drink. And Eli did what all of us do. He waved him off. He said, go back to bed. It's nothing. Go back to sleep. Well, this happened a couple more times. And to Eli's credit... He put two and two together, and he realized that God was speaking to Samuel. Now, this is a moment when Eli could have easily been jealous or upset, because Eli had been serving in the house of the Lord his entire life, and God had never once revealed himself to Eli in the way that he was revealing himself to Samuel. But he put his ego aside, and he gave to Samuel probably the best gift that any spiritual mentor can give their mentee. He taught Samuel how to hear the voice of God, and how to respond to the voice of God. And so Samuel went back to bed. And when the voice came to him a third time, he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God proceeded to give Samuel the first prophecy that Israel had gotten in almost, well, 500 years. The Bible tells us here in the first verse that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. 
Um, some Bible study reveals that for the whole stage of the judges, God only revealed himself to Israel maybe five times. So in the span of 450 to 480 years, Israel had only really gotten five revelations from God. That's rare. So part of the reason why Samuel didn't recognize or didn't know that it was God speaking to him was because he didn't expect it to be God. God wasn't in the habit of speaking in those days. And I wonder if you and I may feel the same way today, that God's word is rare. Um, we don't really know if God still speaks the way that he used to, mostly because we are bombarded by voices all the time. We have voices from politics, from the news, from celebrities. We have our own internal voices that we're wrestling with, our own self-doubts and anxieties and fears. And God's voice can feel rare in the middle of that and can be precious, right? So we may wonder, does God still speak? We've heard stories of God speaking miraculously for some people, but we've certainly never experienced it. We maybe never have seen it. And I really like what the author Eric Elnies has to say about this. In his book, The Gift of the Dark Woods, he talks a little bit about how he thinks God speaks these days. So there certainly are miraculous times when God may write something on a wall or God's voice may be audible. But Eric says, you know, God created physics. God created science. He created the natural order. And while he's not subject to it, he more likely is um, going to work within the boundaries of natural law and within the boundaries of our own free will. And this is, what he this is how Eric puts it. He says, the principal way God offers direction to someone in need while respecting free will and the constraints of natural law is through gentle intuitions that arise within human consciousness, producing sweet spot moments that a person is free to either accept or reject. So in some cases, this is, in one way, this is beautiful, right? This is wonderful. Is God speaking? Yes, God is speaking. He's speaking within the boundaries of natural law and our free will, and he's giving us these sort of gentle nudges that are moving us one way or the other, and we can receive them or reject them. <clears throat> but on the other hand, this is a little nebulous, right? Like, what is a sweet spot moment? What, what is that? Is it like a warm fuzzy, and then we know God has spoken to us? How do we make sure we've interpreted it right? In verse 5, we read that Samuel misunderstood the voice of God. He didn't know that God was speaking to him, and he went to Eli instead. And this is part of our own journey too, right? How do we rightly interpret these nudges that we may be feeling? <clears throat> I love it. Yesterday, we were at the winter retreat for Elevation, and I got to be in a small group with Phil and Barbara Thompson. And Barbara was sharing how she loves to read Philip Yancey, and Philip Yancey writes, about a time when he was saying God had spoken to him and his friend Tim Stafford said, how do you know that's not the voice of your mother? <laughs> Which is true. How do we know it's not the voice of our mother or our authority figures? Or how do we know it's not our own internal desire that really wants this thing and we're saying it's actually from God? Dwayne has a memory. We went to this private Christian school down in the States and he has a memory of one of his friends. A girl came up to his friend and said, God has told me I am supposed to date you. To which the friend said, he hasn't told me that. <laughs> and I remember, I hope I never use this excuse. I remember a couple of my friends, when they needed to break up with someone, and they were like trying to get the nerve up to break up with them, they would say, it's not you, it's God. He's telling me to break up with you. I don't think I ever used that excuse. Um, 
So how do we know these gentle nudges aren't just something we really want um, and we're attributing it to God? Well, I want to tell you a story about a time in my life when I received a nudge and I wasn't quite sure if it was from God or not. So right after Duane and I got married in 2002, we moved to Los Angeles because I believed to the core of my being that I was supposed to be a missionary to Hollywood. Now, this may sound absurd, except that I was a film major in my undergraduate years. I went to film school. I worked for a semester in Hollywood and worked at Nickelodeon movies. And the film school I had gone to was a Christian film school, and I had gotten acquainted with and connected with a network of Christian Hollywood professionals. And I saw the ministry that they were having, and I just, I really believed to the core of my being that God was calling me to the same work. Well, luckily, Dwayne loved Los Angeles, too, so we got married, and we moved out to L.A., and I set about the work of trying to find a job in Hollywood. And I had amazing connections. One of my supervisors from Nickelodeon Movies loved me. She really wanted me to work with her, and she kept sending me all these job opportunities and nothing. I mean, I, it was like four or five weeks of me looking for a job, and I sent out easily over 100 resumes and applications, and just nothing, door after door after door kept closing. Meanwhile, I had friends and acquaintances who were moving to LA, and they were just dropping into jobs without any connections. The only job I could get was a secretarial job in a youth group of a church, and let me tell you, I'm a really bad secretary. I just do not have the strength set for that. And um, I was miserable. I know my employers were miserable with me. Um, and I was like, God, what are you doing to me? Like, I thought you called me to this really high work, and it feels like you've just cast me aside. Like, what, what is going on here? About the same time, I was out um, sort of shopping at a flea market with a friend, and I found um, this really beautiful print, this cherry blossom print. Well, yeah, we'll go back to the other one here in a minute, but yeah, it's good to start here. Um, and I just fell in love with it. This isn't the actual print. It's a representation to give you an idea. But I was like, this is so beautiful. And I decided I wanted to use it to decorate our living room. Cue our living room was really ugly. We lived in this, like, shabby little apartment in L.A. It was cockroach infested. I kid you not, guys, I woke up at 3 in the morning with a cockroach crawling across my neck one, one morning. It was mouse infected. We had tried to, like, get rid of the vermin, but you know when the whole building is infected, you can't really keep it out of your apartment. And so, um, yeah, I also, along with not having great secretarial skills, didn't have great interior direct decorating skills, so the whole thing was just a mess. I didn't like coming home to this apartment. I was embarrassed to invite friends over. We were getting involved in small groups at our church, and I never wanted to, like, have them over. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to redecorate this living room around this cherry blossom print, and I'm going to make this pretty. And so I went and I found a wood frame. It was a cherry wood frame that matched the cherry blossom print, but it was a little too expensive for us. So Duane and I decided that my overtime, any overtime I made, I would save up and I would buy the, the, the frame to go with the print. So three or four months later, had enough overtime, I bought the frame, framed the print, I put it up on like the main wall in the living room, and I was like, I am going to make this place pretty if it kills me. If I have to work, work overtime for the next five years. So around about the same time this was happening, I decided I should have a day alone with God. 
Now, in my family tradition, I was raised with this idea, this old sort of Christian idea of praying through. Have you heard of this? To pray through. And it's this idea that if you're struggling, if you sort of come up against a wall with God, um, you get on your knees and you pray before God and you do not get up off the floor until you have wrestled some kind of assurance out of God, some kind of answer out of God. And I was like, God, you and I, we've got some work to do. You've got some answers you've got to give me for what you're doing with my life because this is just, this is ridiculous. And so I decided I was going to spend a day alone with God and I was going to pray through and I was not going to let God go until he had given me some kind of answer about what was going on with my life. So some friends gave us their house, gave me the house for the day, and it had like a lovely sunroom. And so I got to praying, and I prayed for three hours and nothing. It was like my prayers were just bouncing off the, the ceiling. So eventually I looked down, and there was this book of liturgical um, prayer on the table. And I thought, okay, well, I'll read that. I'll see what the scripture is for the day. And I opened it up, and it was the story of the rich young ruler. Now, the rich young ruler is a story of a young man who was very wealthy, and he was a good guy. He, like, followed all the rules. He studied the Torah and the, the law and the prophets. He did everything just right. And he came to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, what else can I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, well, you need to give up everything you own and come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he wasn't willing to give up all of his riches. Well, I put the book down, and I was a little bummed because I've grown up hearing that story my whole life, and I felt like I'd kind of leached it, all the meaning out of it. I was going to get out of it, and I was like, well, whatever, this is the verse for today. So I got down on the floor, and I said to the Lord, I said, God, is there anything you have for me out of the story with the rich young ruler? And boom, before I even finished the question, this thought seared its way through my mind. Give up the print. Give up the print. I snapped back up, and I was like, what? That's ridiculous. What does a print have to do with my life? Like, what's going on with you? That's so dumb. I drove home that day, and it just kept staying with me. Give up the print. Give up the print. And I was like, why? Why? I've worked so hard for that thing, and I'm going to make my, my house beautiful, my apartment beautiful around that thing. I thought, I know. I'll tell Dwayne. Uh, and if he thinks this is as ridiculous as I think it is, then I'll know that I'm just over-spiritualizing things. Uh, the thing about Duane is he has this amazing, deep commitment to Jesus, but it's much more intellectual and analytical than mine is. It's not, it's not as, you know, frou-frou, you know, spiritual, feely-feely. And so I'm like, I tend to little be a little more feely-feely. Maybe I'm just over-spiritualizing this. So if, if he thinks it sounds silly, then I'll know. God has put him in my life. I can trust that. So I got home, and Dwayne said, how was your day alone with God? And I said, I think God told me I'm supposed to give up the print. And he laughed. He's like, that's ridiculous. Why would God tell you to give it? What does this have to do with anything that's going on with you? I was like, I know, right? Okay, good. We're, we're good. I'm not giving up the print. Well, 20 minutes later, Dwayne came back to me, and he said, you know what? I think God actually has told you to give up the print because I know who you're supposed to give it to. Oh, man. I was like, okay, well, then we better do it right now because if we wait a minute longer, I'm going to lose my nerve. So we called up his friend. She's a friend of ours that worked with him. She was this beautiful soul. She called herself a Christian and a Buddhist. She was very open to spiritual things. She'd been going to church with us. We've been having these wonderful conversations with her. And um, we told her, um, we think we're supposed to give you this print. And she was like, why? 
And I was like, because mm, God told me to. I mean, how do you explain this to someone? I share this story with you to share a few things that I learned about hearing from God during that season. The first is when we get these nudges and we may not be clear if they're from God or not, check it with the Bible. Check it with Scripture. We know Christians down through the ages believe that God has revealed himself in the Word. That yes, there were humans that translated this and put this together, but God was guiding them the whole time and putting together this really beautiful, coherent um, story about his love and redemption for us. So if you get a nudge that you're not quite sure about, check it with the Bible. Does this line up with who the Bible says God is? And as I began to unpack that story and go back to that story of the rich young ruler and, and talk about it with Duane and our small group, I began to understand a little bit more why God was asking me to give up the print. He was asking me to give up the print because in the midst of my hurt and disappointment with him, he wanted me to still trust that he had something beautiful for my life in store. And I had inadvertently sort of externalized this internal sense of like, God, if you're not going to do something good with my life, then I'm going to make it beautiful all on my own. By the sweat of my brow, I'm going to make this good. And God was saying, Kristen, I know you're hurt by me right now, but I have a plan. Can you stick with me? Can you just stay with me a little bit longer and trust me? And God knew that by me physically giving up that print, it was a tangible reminder of letting go and trusting him and following him. The other thing I learned about these nudges we hear from God is check it with your spiritual community. If you're not quite sure if this is from God or not, take it to somebody whom you trust. And that for me was taking it to Duane and then taking it to our small group. Someone who's, who had an authentic relationship with Jesus but maybe approached their relationship with Jesus in a slightly different way. And they could kind of check and balance that with me. So the last point I have for us today is how do we even make sure that we have opened up our hearts and minds to God to hear from him in the first place? And I think it's really interesting in verse 7, it tells us that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now this is a really odd thing to say because as we know, Samuel's been raised in the temple. He's been growing up there. He's been reading the Torah every single day. He's been studying about God every single day, but he doesn't know God. And I want to tell you all this morning, there's a difference between a head knowledge of God and a heart knowledge of God. There's a difference between intellectually knowing about God and personally experiencing God. And I give to you today Eli's prayer um, as, as a pattern, as, as a as a way of sort of accessing that personal interaction with God. Eli said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We know now Samuel didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the revelation of Jesus, but we do now. And we know that we can encounter God through Jesus, the Son. And so I encourage you, as you make mental space and heart space to be with God, um, that you direct this prayer to Jesus, and you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that word servant is so key, because what does it mean? It means I've let go of the things that are distracting me, the things that maybe are controlling me, the things that have gotten me a little bit off track. Jesus, I want you 
to be my Lord. I want you to be the one that is the focus guiding me. You, Lord, speak into my life. I'm here. I'm ready. So I encourage you as you go out this week, whatever that may look like for you, we don't all have a day that we can spend alone with God. That was before I had kids. Um, But we can find ways to set aside those boundaries and that space and to open our heart and our mind and to invite Jesus to speak to us and see where he'll take us. There's so much more to talk about with this topic. There's so much more I wish I could touch on, so many more nuances. So because of that, I invite you all over to the gym. We have discussion questions. They're going to touch on some of the other aspects of this conversation um, and be able to unpack that together. Thank you so much for your listening.